What's my pet peeve? Messy cat litter. Those furry little pads turn into cat litter super spreaders, leaving the already been used litter scattered across the floor for your bare feet to discover. The solution? World's best cat litter's new load tracking and dust control. It's quick clumping, made from corn so it doesn't stick to paws like clay, and specially formulated to stay where it belongs, in the box. Switch to World's Best Cat Litter for a happier, less littered home. Welcome to the Connecting with Coincidence radio show with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, bringing together the world's synchronicity experts to help you use meaningful coincidences to develop spiritually, psychologically, and practically. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence into your web browser to find the book, website, Psychology Today blog, YouTube channel, and Facebook page. And now, here is the host of the Connecting with Coincidence radio show, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. Welcome to CC with BB, Connecting with Coincidence. Meaningful coincidences challenge established beliefs. They suggest that we can be telepathic, that we can know the future, and have our own human GPS. Coincidence suggests that we are deeply connected to loved ones and to all humans and to all living things. Studying them covers uncovers the maps for these currently mysterious connections through our mental atmosphere, the psychosphere. I encourage you to sharpen your sensitivity to coincidences and to examine their potential uses and explanations. Read my book, Connecting with Coincidence, and learn along with me, Synchronicity Spoken Here. Our guest today is James Williford. Jim experienced six months of severe obsessive-compulsive neurosis at age 23, accompanied by depression, leaving him with significant weight loss. This was followed by his first manic episode, which lasted three months. It involved waves of euphoria and a flow of new material into his keen consciousness. At the onset of mania, he was immediately immersed in the experience of synchronicity. His journey with synchronicity has been a two-edged sword. On the one hand, it was part of an oceanic experience where archetypal elements harmonized. On the other, it contributed to delusions involving other people, which he unfortunately acted upon. He became a psychiatrist in part to understand these experiences. The larger mystical picture he got to provided practical applications in his life, but the interpersonal delusions led to much pain. There was much synchronization between his mind's eyes, thoughts, and the external environment. What was most interesting was that there was a direct relationship between his expanded mood and the frequency of synchronicity. When mania occurred, the experience of synchronicity was acute, florid, and frequent. This predictable increase in the frequency of synchronicity across these mental states suggests that synchronicity can be studied under controlled conditions. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you, Bernie. It's a pleasure to be here. Would you tell? Would you describe what mania is first clinically, and then what it was like for you? Well, uh, the uh, DSM over the years has um, provided 
um, a way to universalize uh, communication between providers and um, it typically will group a, a set of uh, symptoms um, and uh, make a reference to social or occupational dysfunction and a certain duration uh, is required to meet the criteria. Um, the, the set of symptoms will involve racing thoughts, decreased need for sleep, pressured speech, um, engagement in, at times, uh, activities to the extent that they are, uh, are excessive. Uh, the uh, energy is profoundly increased. Um, one, when manic, uh, not just mildly manic, uh, will will lose uh, touch with reality, have delusions, uh, grandiosity, um, and this can go on for a week to ten days uh, with treatment and still meet the criteria. Uh, then you know, for, just 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 for our, for our audience sure. to make it a little a little simpler. Yes, uh, it's it's a, it's it's. Some manic people describe it as being um, like endogenous uh, amphetamines, like the amphetamine comes from inside. Uh, and it's yes, exactly. It is like that. It's like being jacked up on uh, caffeine to the tenth power. Yeah, yeah, and that's that. That's a that's a simple way of saying it. But it ends up yeah. uh, a lot more. You, you can't. You don't sleep. You don't need sleep. Your mind's going really fast, and you come up with a lot of great ideas. Even well, what happens? Yeah, uh, three months of only needing four hours of sleep a yeah. night, and uh, being quite. I was able to uh, just due to my particular disposition. I was able to control my thoughts. I was able to edit what I said around different people. I was still aware that. Some of the people I was around might not like the deep philosophical uh, ruminations, and others might. You know, so I was, you know, and again, it depends on disposition. And that's so important what you're saying, yeah. because um, yeah. because a, a lot of manics lose sight of their interpersonal context, of the minds of the other people around them, and exactly. just blurt out anything. But exactly, you, you still had enough. Uh, knowledge of self and other to be able to um, to know to whom to say what. Exactly. Yeah, I did. I I was in the military. I was enlisted, and I was uh, I was an emergency dental assistant. Worked at night and on the weekends, which gave me a chance to go to school. Um, when I became severely ill on the depressive side, I had to pull out of any extra college on the side. But then when I became manic, um, I decided to enroll in a graduate level ornithology course, which was one week long. And I got an A in that. And I was able to comply with typical etiquette within the classroom. And also, you know, on the job working with army dentists, they were on call for emergency problems. I was able to comply with military customs and courtesies. Well, that's that's pretty amazing that you had enough self-control to do it. So where did it break down? Where did you have to finally say there's something wrong with me? Well, what happened at the time, um, I uh, when I was flooded, the first day uh, that I experienced any relief from the severe depression and 
severe uh, obsessions. Uh, for about for about a half an hour, I put on some music and enjoyed it. Some some typical you know up tempo rock music, and then and then it slammed the the experience slammed shut. I was back in the darkness. The following day, approximately 3 a.m. in the morning, I was in the bathroom and I had this what I can experience is just an expansion of my mind's eye, uh, and I, I describe the mind's eye as basically that faculty through which you might close your eyes and think of, uh, you know, think of a nice uh, tree with leaves and, and beautiful blossoms, you know, of color, whatever, you know, your ability to imagine a scene within your mind. That particular aspect of my mind expanded at least tenfold. It just filled my whole consciousness. That was one of the, that was the first thing I experienced. And then I began to notice that there was a relationship between the content within my consciousness and content in my macro environment. And the following, and that morning, this one, this was going on for several hours. I was expecting it to stop, and I was going to be plunged back into darkness, but it did not stop. And I decided to listen to music. So the first album that I put on was "Synchronicity" by The Police. <laughs> And uh, now, how did that happen? That's pretty funny. Well, I just walked downstairs and I go, well, I feel like listening to music. The only the only music that I liked to listen to when I was severely depressed, and I mean like is very weak, uh, was a music by a Franciscan monk, John Michael Talbot. But at that point of that morning, I actually wanted to listen to rock music. And I thought, well, that new Police album, it's kind of strange from what I've heard. But I'll go ahead and put it on because I'd only heard the radio stuff, you know, a few radio tunes. So I pop that thing on and all of a sudden I'm just immersed in the synchronization between what I'm thinking and what I'm experiencing and what this guy's singing about. And initially I thought, man, this is crazy. I thought, well, initially I actually thought that the singer knew me. And I thought that for about a split second. And then I said, well, that's bizarre, you know, because my scientific acumen was still intact. So I then said, well, well what, but wait a second. He's singing. The lyrics are about what I'm experiencing because I was experiencing this synchronization between concepts in my mind and things that were going on in the environment. I could look around the room and, and see objects that resonated with my thoughts. And, and then, of course, once the lyrics started uh, in the other tunes, they were synchronized. Uh, for instance, uh, there was a song that, uh, that referred to reptilian imagery and the dinosaurs uh, 50 million years ago. And I was all caught up in studying macroevolution and the dinosaurs and you know the relationship between birds and evolution. So all of that stuff was just quite profound. I was, I was uh, compelled to go look at the album. I turned the album over. And I said, well, what kind of literature is this guy reading? He must be reading something. I found Carl Jung's name, J-U-N-G. And I decided that when I started my ornithology course, I would run over to the campus library and look Jung up. And when I did, I was just amazed at, at the, the, the types of, at the, at the walk that he had had, the literature that he'd written, and how this stuff really made sense. And that was critically important for me because at that time, I was quite alone in, in my, you know, epiphany, if you will. Uh, and, uh, and to find out that I wasn't al alone through this literature was extremely edifying. And uh, uh, that's we're, probably we're, enough, probably we're, enough we're, about that. 
Well, it's enough. It's a. It's. I think there's more, but we're coming to the end of this segment. Sure. Uh, that Jung was able to confirm that you weren't out there by yourself, and it happened through. Uh, synchronicity the album so you've yeah. been you're listening to connecting with coincidence with your host beat bernie biteman md and the exxon broadcast network and our guest is jim williford you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like exxon sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. As a social worker, you can become an advocate for those who can't. Earn your master's in social work degree online 
to learn strategies to connect diverse populations with the critical resources they need to improve their well-being, whether it's in a hospital, community service agency, or another setting. What do you think making a difference as a social worker looks like? GCU offers over 250 high-quality online programs like this one. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, welcome back to CC with BB. We're talking to Dr. James Williford, a psychiatrist who had uh, manic episodes which were very much related to synchronicity experiences of his. And what I, what I enjoy about this is that I used to introduce this show talking about how uh, the police brought synchronicity idea to the general public through their album and then went and started talking about Jung. So you experienced those two right together in a way that I've never heard anybody do. And what you're talking about in your, in your manic episodes is your mind's eye, that you would see things, um, lots of things in your mind's eye, lots of imagery, um, and that then you started noticing that that imagery correlated with what's going on outside of you. And what I like about this is that I'm reading a book on uh, parapsychology, the history thereof, and the a line that just stood out to me about uh, 20 minutes ago was a psychic who just kept reading mental imagery off of her mind. She was blind, and she could tell from this imagery and and these words that she ca that came to her uh, what someone's history was who was standing right in front of her. So this experience that you have had is something, and probably still do, is something that I'm trying to be able to help other people uh, become more cognizant of, that we have the capacity to do in hopefully shorter and easier mind spaces what you just have described. And one of the things you described to me uh, was about uh, the comb incident. Would you tell yes. us about that? Well, during this, during this experience of mania, um, I, uh, would, I would not elicit nor try to conjure up uh, these types of paranormal experiences that were uh, separate but related to synchronicity. Uh, one time I was in a, uh, a building at my workplace and I had an impulse to comb my hair but had no comb. And then I immediately in my mind's eye saw a desk, knew where the desk was in the clinic but had never been there, never been in that desk. And inside, I could see this yellow comb. And then I, so I walked down to the end of the building, took a left, went into the room, opened the drawer, and there it was, same color, and I combed my hair with it. Um, often, I would, I would be experiencing conversation with somebody, and I would know what they were about to say. When these things would come on, I, there was, they were just instant. It was like an instant knowledge. Um, and I was very confident of what they were going to say. Uh, but the way I conceived it uh, eventually was that we were both, was that simply I was experiencing a, a collective segment of the unconscious with this other person. Therefore, I was aware of the content and they spoke it, but it wasn't like I had any special you know, kind of puppeteer line or any ability. I prefer to look at it as simply because of the expansion of what was normally unconscious into my consciousness, 
there was a plane within the unconscious that we were both tapping into. I was simply observing it. The other person was speaking it. And I, I would have that experience quite often. Well, let's, uh, let's, let, let's stop with a couple of things you're saying there. Sure. I think it's really yeah. very important from, from the way uh, I'm trying to talk about coincidences and what they tell us, that, that the shared collective mind that the yes. person spoke and that you could notice uh, somehow. Uh, what, what is your experience of this collective mind? How do you, uh, how do you understand that? Well, it's, um, I have found that, that some of the things, and again, uh, this is a very common uh, experience, but I've found that some of the things in quantum mechanics uh, resonate with the way I look at the unconscious. Um, and uh, they're starting way back uh, with books like The Dancing Wooly Masters and, and The Tao of Physics. Uh, there was this expression, tendency to be. Uh, uh, something having a tendency to be. And that expression started because people were noticing that these entities down at that level could be particles or waves, depending on how you set up the measurement, and uh, so that there, there, there's a tendency to manifest. And I look at the unconscious like that. I think that there are these, uh, the, there are these elements within the unconscious that I prefer to call progenitors because it's a kind of an encompassing term. And that term encompasses archetypes and complexes. Complexes are personal. Archetypes are part of the collective unconscious. And each, and they all have one thing in common. They have a pattern. They have a tendency to be a pattern. And so that uh, Plato described the perfect triangle as existing within the mind, not out in the macro world, but existing within the mind. Well, in my mind, that would be a form of a progenitor. Now, these progenitors are down in there, and in, and in normal consciousness, normal waking, they're repressed excellently. They're, they're pushed down in there, and they manifest themselves facilitating activity within the macro environment. However, when you have some situation that disrupts the internal boundary, all of a sudden this, these progenitor-induced patterns begin to fly into your mind and emerge, and there's, there's no accident that they resonate with the environment. And the reason that that is, is because I believe when you, when you are intending to interact with a person or an object, that intention is coupled with a pattern component that resonates with that object. It's a tendency, it's just an influence. Um, it's not, the architecture of it is not like what we consider to be in the macro environment. It's a tendency to be an architecture. Now that is the best I could do with that, Bernie. Oh, no, I, no, I, no, I wait, apologize. Wait. I wait a minute. Wait, wait. It's okay. I accept your apology because that's we're still trying to figure this out. Uh, that that and then what you seem to be saying is that you're that having an intention uh, activates a progenitor that that fits, generally speaking, uh, the object of the of your intention. Exactly. Now it can fit it either concretely, literally, or abstractly. You might find that. Uh, there can be in the relationship between the progenitor and the macro environment object, 
there can be a relationship where the analogy of one resonates with the literal of the other yeah or vice versa and sometimes it's approximate it's not an exact thing exactly it's, it's close. now i had a funny little thing it was a small thing um i was visiting a friend of mine in philadelphia uh, a couple of days ago and her, her roommate um I came down and showed me a photograph of her grandchildren, and I said, uh, I looked at them and I said, "Those are Lou's grand Lou's grandchildren." Now I never met Lou. I had my friend had told me about Lou, and uh, so I, I left it at that. I was lying on the couch in the living room, uh, and she was sitting on a chair right next to me. Well, my friend and I went to get some coffee the next day, and we came back. And Lou was sitting in the chair where she had been sitting, showing me the pictures of the grandchildren. And she was sitting on the couch where I was lying when I said those are Lou's grandchildren. Outstanding. Yeah, comment on that, please. Well, I think what's happening is that um, we, we see that when there is this relationship, sometimes it appears to be simultaneous. And sometimes it is not simultaneous from our perspective in the macro world. Um, I think that the issue, if you think about the general theory of relativity, there's no such thing as simultaneity between two different objects in the macro world. They're always in different frames of reference because there's different gravitational tides. So that's not something that scientifically is foreign to us. And, and in the experience of the unconscious, you'll find that sometimes things appear to not be synchronized but are so closely related in time that you're going, wow, that is a profound relationship. So sometimes we can recognize, wow, that doesn't appear to be simultaneous, but that's not, but that's not foreign to us scientifically. It wasn't, it wasn't simultaneous, but it was spatially uh, exactly. the same. It, it wasn't and, time, it was space. Exactly. And, and if we look at space-time from the... Uh, standpoint of, gen of the general theory of relativity, uh, there is that important relationship. The other thing I do want to mention that I think is related to this is that they have demonstrated quantum entanglement across different frames of reference. So to give you an example, if you took, uh, if you took uh, two entangled particles, you put one in, a, in an X-15, flew it around the world, at, at, at speeds that, that invoke relativistic processes, and you change the spin on one particle, the other one would instantly, or quote-unquote instantly change, as if they're both the same particle. In other words, there's a transcendence of space-time. They're in different frames of reference. Now, I believe that when, it, it, it deep with, as we go deeper into the unconscious, we, we will progressively transcend space-time. So that we, we so that we will experience these relationships that have profound uh, um, uh, uh, impact across space and time. Yeah, I, I, and in this kind of regular world, yeah, um, where this happened with me, I was still in transition. I was about to leave uh, Philadelphia to come back to Charlottesville, and transition seems to increase uh, access to subconscious unconscious activities somehow I, I don't yes know. I don't yes. know I think so when you have a disturbance uh, that of anxiety there are many things that can affect a, a slight fragmentation to the unconscious at the at the internal boundary 
and and you will have a greater incidence of synchronicity. I believe that. Okay, we're coming to the end of this segment. You're listening to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Bernie Beitman, MD, and the Exxon Broadcast Network. And our guest is Dr. James Williford. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, it was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. 
Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence with your host, Bernie Beitman, MD. It's me. And our guest is Dr. James Williford, psychiatrist who has had manic episodes which have tuned him into synchronicity in a way that most of us don't have that experience. But we can back away from Jim's experiences and apply some of them to our daily life. One of the terms that uh, Dr. Williford has used today is mind's eye, his mind's eye, the eye of his mind, by which he meant he can see things in his minds that are past, present, and probably future in a way that we don't usually allow ourselves to think about. But because he could have could do it under a manic experience, it means that we have the potential in ourselves to do it. But what's interesting to me I want to ask Jim about is that he can observe his mind's eye observing things. And I, I'm fascinated with the ability to observe what I call our, our observer self with another observer self. There's more meta, more, more about, uh, more uh, thinking about. So, Jim, how is it, what, is, what facility allows you to observe your mind's eye in, ac- in action? Um, I think that uh, when we look at the default mode network um, in a resting brain, uh, someone who is sort of reviewing their autobiographical history in their mind, you know, looking back at their childhood or, you know, uh, good times in the past, um, that and, and, and people will vary as, as to whether, you know, they, they do it in color or black and white in various you know aspects but that that's what i'm talking about and they a person is not engaged in activities where they sense the environment with any of the five senses per se there's no significant engagement with sensing or acting on the external environment they are in a passive resting state that's the default mode network that's there are certain centers in the brain that are active under functional MRI at that state. And what they experience in their mind is, is, is just this um, um, uh, image. It's not like an external image. It doesn't have that definition. But it, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes it does. Yeah. But um, if, if they, you know, if, if you ask someone to conjure up an image, like let's just say you have a patient who, is is afraid of snakes okay and the first thing you want to do before you take them down to the local zoo uh for and again let's just assume that in a perfect world you could you could reserve the whole zoo just for you two so doctor patient confidentiality would not be a problem well you don't want to take them down there for in vivo exposure therapy yet you want to kind of gradually dip them into it so you, you have them imagine in their mind's eye images of snakes there in your office. And you, and you gradually build up the images to where they begin. And, of course, they relax. They, you know, systematic desensitization. You have, they relax while they're exposing themselves imaginally. They're imagining. And then from there you move on to in vivo exposure. So that's the kind of, uh, for the average psychologist, psychiatrist, that's the faculty I'm referring to. And 
that's a faculty that the psychiatrist is observing for the other person, for the patient, uh, imagining the snake in various forms. Right. So you psychi- have to depend. You have to depend upon the verbal report of the patient that they're adequately imaging. Well, the psychiatrist is helping to guide the imaging. Exactly. And exactly. I'm I'm talking about that your own internal capacity to right. observe your own imagery, to right. en- and right. to report it. That's not the same faculty as as the images themselves. It's Correct. That you can observe yourself observing these images. Right. There is a sense of self throughout the experience, and you know, throughout all of my manias. Uh, and I do want to point out that my manias have been quite discreet. Uh, they've been, they have been, they have been circumscribed. Um, there, I've had some blips of hypomania, mild mania, but the the juicy ones have been quite circumscribed. Um, they start and then they stop. Um, the uh, the my my ability to to you know my mind's eye, as we put it. Um, Throughout all of that experience, I am still aware of myself. I don't, I don't become uh, like some people describe when they have oceanic experiences. Um, I don't feel like my self has dissolved into nothing. I very much experience myself as intact through all of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, but it is very much an oceanic experience, particularly the first mania. Um, mm-hmm. I, I felt connected with everything. And when you talk about being feeling that connected with everything and being aware of the feeling of being connected with everything, uh, how does the, how does the how does that experience and synchronicity itself fit into the process of macroevolution? Well, yeah, that's an excellent uh, question. And Marie Louise von Franz um, was a uh, an important pupil and coworker of Carl Jung. And in the book, Man and His Symbols, the last chapter, The Unconscious and Science, um, she actually goes into this. And I actually read this, I guess, about uh, maybe three summers ago was the first time I got around to finishing that book, believe it or not. And I was highly edified by this particular statement she made. And I'll just quote it. Um, uh, She states, Quote, until recently, it was assumed that the mutation of species happened at random and that a selection took place by means of which the meaningful, well-adapted varieties survived and the others disappeared. But modern evolutionists have pointed out that the selections of such mutations by pure chance would have taken much longer than the known age of our planet allows. New paragraph. Jung's concept of synchronicity may be helpful here, for it could throw light upon the occurrence of certain rare border phenomena or exceptional events. Thus, it might explain how meaningful adaptations and mutations could happen in less time than that required by entirely random mutations. Now, that's unquote. Now, now Bernie, the thing about this is the way she worded that it almost sounds puppeteer, and it sounds like exceptional events occurring along. I don't view it like that. The way I look at it is this. Within the collective objective unconscious, 
you have a deep matrix of progenitors. These are tendency to be patterns. They exist across space-time, and they provide for a morphological constant. It, they provide for uh, a structure in, in collaboration with natural selection. You have, you have the selecting environment, which itself is changing radically over time. You have the exposed mutations. They're the process of random mutation. And then through the collective objective unconscious, you would have a morphological constant that would help us not just be soup after four billion years. Uh, it, sounds, it sounds like a, a, a wedding of, of these progenitors with the environment. So when the environment has a progenitor analog, uh, the two come together and make that environmental thing into something that we would call real. Exactly. I think the thing is, you know, when I learned, I, when I was uh, heavily into skepticism um, and uh, a physicalist, um, the way I learned macroevolution was... Wait, 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 what, what's a physicalist for so our audience? Um, for a while, I did not believe that there was anything such as the soul or the spirit. Um, I believe that things were particulate all the way down. <laughs> yes. All the way down. Okay. Now, then I was exposed to quantum mechanics, and uh, and then I had a renewal of my religious faith and belief in the metaphysical. Now, with that said, uh, if you look, uh, there are people that are going to look at it either from a panpsychism perspective, and there are people that are going to look at it from an anthropomorphic perspective regarding the mechanism that I'm talking about. But regardless, if you give yourself 3.5 you know, billion years since the first uh, nucleic acids, um, and you have a tremendously volatile macro environment with volcanoes, magma eruptions, all kinds of stuff, and you've got a tremendously mutating collective genome, after 4 billion years, you're just going to have soup. There's regression towards the mean statistically. What you, what you require is some other thing that provides a morphological evolutionary influence, and that's what I believe the collective objective unconscious does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're getting to the, the, the soup of uh, regression to the mean. Yeah. Meaning, meaning, describe regression to the mean. Well, what happens when you regression to the mean is simply that a system is going to, uh, when you have uh, a huge amount of progression towards entropy uh, in the macro environment, a huge amount of progression towards entropy in the in the uh, molecular environment, uh, with no uh, morphological stability with another factor, you're just going to get soup. You're going to get regression towards the the average state of what that would produce the, the, in the middle of a bell-shaped curve. Now, uh, the, the, the other aspects of the bell-shaped curve... Now, let's, let's, leave, let's leave the bell-shaped curve, because uh, I, I love that concept, and okay. I think it's an archetype. Yeah. Uh, you, you are listening to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Bernie Beitman, MD, on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, and our guest today is James Williford, MD. You 
have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to CC with BB. Uh, and we were just talking with James Williford, a psychiatrist with a manic episode that introduced him deeply to synchronicity, just talking to him about archetypes and the bell-shaped curve. And I'm just a bit of a sidelight here, Jim. Uh, I, I think the bell-shaped curve, the normal curve, uh, is uh, an archetype as well. What do you think of that? Well, um you know, I think that the uh, the bell-shaped curve is derived uh, from faculties that are part of our, what you might call, our macro disposition, which involves um, relatively slow speeds, relatively 
uh, moderate masses and involves reason and doubt. Uh, these are all things that are required to, uh, to empirically evaluate an environment and come up with a way to uh, predict norms and, uh, and to categorize uh, uh, objects and processes according to the average versus non-average um, as you, uh, as you, you know, move out from the norm. And, you know, so if you take a, a group of people and say, well, what's the average height? Uh, again, you'll, you'll get a, you'll get a, in the middle of the bell-shaped curve, you'll, you'll get the average. And then as you move on out in either direction, you'll get uh, nine footers uh, towards the right side, and you might get four footers towards the left side. But again, um, you're saying that it's a property. So what about that population? What about that population puts them within that pattern of where there's an average height? If you look at the system of macroevolution as described in pure natural selection, if you take the, the given volatile macro environment combined with the volatile collective genome, the average state you would have after all that time, predictably, would be soup. You would not be able to produce any structural entropy. There would not be, I mean, you would have high structural entropy, excuse me, high structural. Uh, and that's just the average state given the, the initial conditions of, of that. Uh, now, heat entropy, even with all the, the, the thermodynamic heat from the sun um, and a massive uh, sacrifice of thermal entropy, uh, it still will not produce the decreased structural entropy that is needed to have all these nice, complex uh, morphologies uh, in modern era. So what I'm saying is that uh, the collective objective unconscious uh, is, is in synergism with the selecting environment and that which is being selected to keep us from becoming that soup. Uh, again, I think I'm sort of getting redundant at this point. Yeah, you are, but it needed to be repeated. Um, it's a complex set of ideas there. And my sidebar on this is, the, is, the, is what you seem to be saying about the bell-shaped curve, which I find a very interesting way of looking at reality. I've, I've talked to statisticians, and one of them thinks the world is all statistics, and central to that is the, is the bell-shaped curve as a way of understanding reality. We all need patterns to understand reality. Archetypes certainly help form our concepts and our behavior, and it seems to me that the normal curve or the bell-shaped curve is one of those archetypes that does not get paid attention to, but when you're, the way you talk about it is that it's a quality of the, this, this, uh, this, this dimension of slowness that we are in. It's not micro, it's not hugely macro. It's this dimension of, of 3D reality of human beings walking around with trees and other people where the normal curve seems to apply, but not necessarily outside of that into micro and macro worlds. It's interesting um, that, yeah, you know, I guess to discuss the the etiology of bell-shaped curve would would be you know quite an in-depth discussion, but it's a it's a great it's a great tool, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's yeah. a it's it's a great it's a great tool. But we I think we're going to go on to 
Uh, one other question I think is we should we should pay attention to is that's is back to your manic episodes. I mean, it's you're, you're a real gift to the synchronicity students because you're a psychiatrist. You're very articulate. You're you've learned a lot of stuff, and there you were not wanting to, but there you were thrust into uh, a state of consciousness that uh, coincidences, synchronicity, help ordinary people without these experiences get a, a, a clue about, but you were deeply thrown into them. And yes. from that manic experience, the state-dependent uh, place that you got, you could be, you could see a lot more coincidences. And that led you to think that there are methods that could be applied for further research uh, regarding synchronicity. Yes, you know, to come up with a loose um, equation, you might say that, uh, in my experience, the the experience of synchronicity is both re predictable and repeatable. It's directly proportional to the degree of manic mood state. Um, also, if you look at some of these studies coming out of Carhart-Harris and colleagues, uh, the the experience I've had is consistent with an increase in the pattern entropy. In other words, all of the 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 volume of of pattern that enters consciousness uh, is is increased tremendously. So you you have instead of having one particular pattern to pay attention to there's tremendous numbers of patterns and that is consistent with what they're looking at with with uh, patients or subjects I should say that are under the influence of psychedelics they see an increase in this entropy and for you know for ease of communication I'll just say pattern entropy okay and then the other yeah, issue when yeah. Increase in pattern entropy. Uh, right, uh, right. Uh, if if you, I, I don't know that entropy is the right word to use right there. I, increase I in the num increases the number of patterns is what you mean. Well, when I when I first came across their literature, I didn't like entropy either. Uh, but for now, we'll set that aside um, because it does it can be a little misleading based on the previous conversation. But yeah. let's just say this: the the equation would be. Mania, it's proportional to the increase in mood. Uh, it's proportional to the volume of patterns that enter consciousness. Yeah. It's proportional to the synchronization between those patterns and the environment. And it's indirectly proportional to a drop in mood. So when I become depressed, I do not experience it significantly at all. Okay. Yeah. Now and that, this is and th this is repeatable. This is that that is really cool. I mean, I want to stick yeah. with this. We only have a couple of minutes left, but this is really cool because uh, yeah. the increase in the number of patterns. Uh, yes, I'm going to get rid of entropy in this because it's too confusing. But yeah, let's leave that out. Let's leave that out. And Thank it's you. all this is proportional. Mood goes up. Pattern and number of patterns entering. Can you qualify? the kinds of patterns that come in, not just with manias, with psychedelics. Marijuana does that to some people. Can you qualify what you mean, but what, what, what kinds of patterns come in? Um, it's across the board. Hmm. It's, um, 
everything. Well, and of course, it, it's uh, partially dependent upon empirical exposure. I believe that the world of the unconscious and the macro world uh, exist in a reciprocal relationship. And, uh, you know, I was a military brat, went to six different elementary schools, two different junior highs, four different high schools, you know, and uh, just was exposed to all kinds of things growing up. And uh, so that, that, that definitely feeds and then is worked on by the unconscious. There's a reciprocal relationship. In regards to no, experiments, uh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, the, what you just said is the kinds of patterns that you see uh, are correlated with the kinds of external reality experiences that you've had. That's, I believe, that's correct. Yes. But then there seem to be some of these progenitor patterns that also get in there. Correct. I believe that uh, there are. You know, I'll have, I'll have knowledge of things that I'm not supposed to have knowledge of. Yeah. And I'm not bragging. It's just jumped on me. You know, I didn't conjure it up. Uh, but in the middle of that, I'm also having delusions because I'm interpreting certain things as literal as opposed to abstract. You yes, know, I, like, for instance, I had this uh, I had these images of where I'd go to. It, I'd, I'd end up in a certain medical school eventually. Well, I didn't get accepted to that medical school initially and then suddenly there was this transfer available and I, I took it mm -hmm. but the way I look at the future is this I like that probability distribution uh, that you see in a particle in, in a box experiment in physics with the Schrodinger equation because uh, I think that, that the multiple futures are allowed for by concrete versus abstract interpretation you know it, if if you, I think that there's a problem with people that want to say there's a clockwork future, that's that's dangerous. So we that's a whole other conversation for another time. But getting back to experiments, you could take patients with subjective questionnaires. I mean, subjects with subjective questionnaires, with synchronicity questions mixed in. They are blind to the fact that you're focusing on synchronicity. You have them experience music with lyrics. You put them under functional MRI, and you use the Limpel-Zev complexity to look at uh, the degree of, of, of pattern uh, increase. And you also look at whether that correlates with a rise in the uh, subjective report of synchronicity. And we, and have, to, and we, and we yeah. have to stop right there, Jim. Yeah. We've come to the end of this very intriguing ideas that you've presented us with yeah. from your own research into your own mind. You've been listening to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Bernie Beitman, on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. And our guest has been Jim Williford. skeptic or a believer. Join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, 
haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.xzonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, sci-fi and horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.